Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Well, it is good to be reminded that we are God's people. Amen. His church, his chosen bride. And of course, we welcome each one of you. You're a guest today. I forgot to mention this earlier. We're glad you're with us and that we're thankful for your visit among us. Trust your visit will be blessed. Take your Bibles this morning for our time in the Word, Luke chapter 10, a familiar really portion of Scripture. We are actually in a series, at least I think we were before I left. It's been a minute, as they say in Georgia, since uh, we've been back here and visited this theme, but uh, disciplines of a godly life. We've mentioned a couple of those already, prayer, Bible study, and a few other things, but now we're on the subject today of worship, and it is good to be back home, and I trust by now you found Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38, as we look at the text today, and now it came to pass... As they went, the disciples, of course, spoken of here, that they entered, that Lord entered into a certain village, Bethany, a certain woman named Martha received him into her house, a favorite stopping place of the Lord was this home where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were siblings in the same house. He loved to stop here because they loved him and they were hospitable to his needs. Verse 39, and she had a sister named Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about which must, with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath let me in the kitchen to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her something we all need to hear. Martha, twice he uses her name, Parents are good at that when our kids don't listen, right? Martha, Martha, thou art careful, anxious, and troubled about many things. Maybe that's your heart this morning. You're here, but your heart is distracted, troubled, careful, full of cares. One thing is needful. Are you listening? One thing. The Lord could have said, I've got a thousand and three things. He said, one thing is needful. Sometimes we love the simplicity of Christ. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. Tonight we're going to sing about the glories of God through hymns. But I want us to know that God wants us to know him. We were reminded about that in Sunday school, his character, his nature, the truth about who he is. And from that great exposure to who he is, we are to worship. I read an illustration a few years ago about uh, a lady. Uh, It was reported in the Chicago Tribune about a New Mexico woman who's frying tortillas. And when she noticed the skillet burns on one of her little, I guess, flour tortillas, she saw in the the very fry marks or the burn marks from her skillet on this tortilla, she saw the face of Jesus, she thought it was. (laughs) How fortunate for her, she thought. So the woman went to her priest to have that little tortilla blessed. 
And she testified that it had changed her life, and her husband agreed that she had been a more peaceful, happy, submissive wife since the tortilla had arrived. The priest was not accustomed to blessing tortillas, but was somewhat reluctant and agreed after a while to do it. So she took it home and put it in a glass case with piles of cotton around it to make it look like it was floating on clouds. And she built an altar for it and opened a little shrine for visitors. Within a few months, more than 8,000 people had come by to look at the shrine of the Jesus of the tortilla. And all of them agreed that the face in the burn marks uh, in this tortilla were definitely the face of Christ, except for one who said it resembled a heavyweight, former heavyweight champion, Leon Spinks. <laughs> Isn't it amazing the things we worship? Yeah. And uh, God made you. I know this morning, there's no doubt in my mind, I know that you're a worshiper because God made you to do that. The only question this morning is what are you worshiping? Better who are you worshiping? I had a man tell me that when he visited California, the other coast, he said there was a, a, just a, a clip in the paper there at the time about a group of folks that were, were stopping, and they were, they were stopping to uh, really flocking to see and pay homage to a parking embutment. Where else but California? They were stopping because there was something in this, this cement chunk there on their way as they commuted back and forth to wherever that resembled some kind of divine mystic emanation. And so they were stalking, they were stopping, flocking to this thing and worshiping a piece of cement. I guess that's not just a problem in California. We are all false worshipers, aren't we? Tend to be, can be. Let me ask you a question. As we talk about the subject of worship this morning, what in your mind comes, pops up, when you think about the definition of worship? What is it for you? Is it a great cathedral, candles, some hear organ music, harps, some think of some mystical spiritual feeling that hits your stomach when the choir hits the high crescendo on the hallelujah chorus? Can't you just hear that? I won't try to sing it. But there's that, that hair that stands up in the back of your neck, perhaps, and this, this religious emotion that overwhelms you, and you think, well, that has to be worship. It's a feeling. You might get chills down your spine. No, worship is not this feeling. Worship is an adoration of God. True worship may affect your emotions, but it's always rooted, here's a definition, in the truth about God and expressed both by praise for these truths and obedience to them. And it's not just reserved for church. Well, we have a worship leader, we have a worship program, we have worship music, and this is the house of worship, we call it that, but friends, we ought always be worshiping God. It's not reserved for this place. True worship, I believe I submit to you, is the supreme priority of the Christian in every dispensation from the garden when God created us for worship all the way to the last curtain call of human history. It is about God's worship, the elevation of who he is in our hearts until he's the first 
love of our hearts. Love me supremely, God says to us. And how often we are distracted from that priority. What are you worshiping today? You were created for it. At uh, the well, remember there, the Samaritan woman, John 4, the Lord kind of pours out his heart to her in a sense. He says, listen, we're talking about churches. Your church here in Samaria, our church in (laughs) the temple in Jerusalem, and we're arguing about what's the best place to worship. Let me tell you, he said to this woman, God is looking for worshipers who will worship me in what? Spirit and in truth. That's a small s. Worship me with all your heart and let your worship flow from what you know about me in scriptures. Spirit and in truth. So that's the goal for us. And there are churches today trying to elicit by a light show and music and sound and visual effects this spirit of worship. And sometimes you, and I've even visited these huge Uh, In Mexico, these huge Catholic cathedrals, and maybe you've seen them in France and other places around the world, where you walk in and it just feels like God is closer because of all the ornamentation. But folks, that's not worship. It has to begin with a personal relationship with your God and a devotion to him. One great writer puts it this way, God is most satisfied with us when we are most satisfied with him. What if we took you apart, layer by layer, until we came to the boil room of your being, your heart itself, and with a magnifying glass, we looked at really what makes you tick, what you live for, what you want most in life. The last uh, missions conference we had here in September Uh, The missionary to Ukraine and Russia gave me one of these. Some of you have seen these. They're Russian nesting dolls, right? Maybe some of you have one somewhere in your house. What if we took you apart until we got to your very heart, had a heart examination? What is it you worship? Of course, you know how these work. Most of you do. Sorry about the squeak. Um, They keep getting smaller and smaller as you twist them apart. And one after another, you see another little being inside of another little being. Looks like the one on the outside. All of you this morning are dressed up pretty good. But what if we just got down to the very heart of hearts and saw what it is that really made you tick? Would it be a supreme love for God? Or would it be something else? I don't know why my wife did this, but she put a few pictures on Facebook of our trip, and one of the pictures she said I put in there is of you kissing a fish. Smoke me. What would it be for you when we get to the heart of it all? Some of you know what that is. I know Pastor Starr knows what that is. Some of you don't have any clue. You think that's something edible. It looks delicious. If you're a fish, it does. This is a crappie jig, and it has, it's actually a triple tail. It's one of my favorites. Some of you have no clue and no passion for fishing. Shame on you. (laughs) But in the right hands, this is a mighty weapon in the spring, of course, when the fish are nesting 
And I know all about this. It's my favorite. The colors are perfect. There's green and chartreuse. And I'm telling you, it works wonders the right time of year. But I have to wonder, in our hearts, what is it that has captivated it? I like fishing, but I love Jesus. Sometimes we get confused about our passions. What would it be at the innermost part of you, as we open up that last chamber that surrounds your heart, what would God find? Would it be the love of money? Would it be a perfect house? Would it be grandkids? Would it be perhaps um, a sport for you? a relationship, a better marriage some, with someone else, somewhere else? Would it, what would it be for you? The perfect job, the perfect place, retirement. Something is motivating you, and God is asking us this morning, do you love me, Peter, more than all of these things? Do you love me more than money, than sex, than relationships, than anything else? Are you fully committed and your love for me. Well, this is a great story that reminds us about the very truth that God wants our hearts. If you want, and so many great definitions of worship, basically it is a devotion to God, but worship, someone says, attaches its focus to God, attires itself with humility, approaches God in purity, affirms God's truthfulness and worthiness, ascends in sincerity, adores him devotedly, and ascribes to him glory and majesty. That's a mouthful. Let me read those again. Worship, true worship, attaches its focus on God himself, attires itself in humility, approaches God in purity, affirms God's truth and worthiness, ascends in sincerity, adores him passionately or devotedly, and ascribes to him glory and majesty. So, with that long-handled definition in mind, how much worshiping of God are you doing lately? Because Worship is the very environment of heaven. We better get practicing. As we get there, it's all about the worship of the king. It's our ultimate priority. Just, just to look again at this familiar story. We've read its story for you already. <clears throat> this account, I don't like to use the word story when it comes to the Bible. This literal account of something that happened in the life of Christ. We see, uh, of course, uh, this uh, this distraction that can be a part of our lives, and uh, this ultimate priority ought to be worship. But we notice here that in terms of the first point, I'll just give you two or three things to chew on this morning. We tend, <clears throat> there's three things that derail our, uh, our, our love um, for God. And I think the first would be this. We place duty over devotion. We've already, got the, uh, we've already read the scripture, but the context is the Lord is uh, just coming back from a kind of an evangelistic mission. With He sent out his disciples two by two. The 70 went, they came back. They were, had glowing testimonies. And we see that as uh, chapter 10 uh, kind of leads into verse 38. And they're excited that the demons were subject to them. 
And the Lord almost with a smile says, well, that's wonderful, fellows, but there's something even more important. Verse 20, notwithstanding, <clears throat> I'm glad that the demons, <laughs> he says, it doesn't surprise me that the demons are, are under the authority of God himself. But he says, don't be so thrilled about that. Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written, verse 20, are written in heaven. Rejoice that you know God, who is the source of all power, joy, comfort, and love. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in his spirit, said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes speaking literally of those around him, even so, Father, for it so seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. In other words, the Lord is saying, I'm so glad that these disciples are getting it. They know who I am. Isn't it a privilege today to know Christ? And he turned to his disciples, verse 23, and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which have seen the things that ye see. For in the past, because of the mysteries being shrouded by the signs and all the testaments that were in the Old Testament that were hidden, he says, Blessed are your eyes because you get it. You know who I am. I am the fulfillment. I am the prize of life. I am the joy of living, the God of heaven. The Messiah. They, they, they longed to see me in the past, and now you know me and follow me. And what a privilege it is to walk with the Lord. Sometimes we take that for granted, but worship begins with the understanding of who Christ is. And so we tend to place just the duties of church and life and ministry often over our devotion. Have you told God lately that you love him? Have you... Have you had a communication with the Lord late, lately in prayer that you have just bowed on your heart and on your heart's knees and, and just simply said, Lord, I want to thank you for who you are, not necessarily for all the things you do and ask us to do, but Lord, for who you are. So he comes to a very busy household, verse 38, and they're meeting to eat, course, and fellowship, and then, the, of course, they uh, find this scene where there's a very, very busy, busy lady by the name of Martha who, who is in charge of the kitchen, kitchen. and uh, she's succumbed to the fact that duty in her heart superseded devotion. And what is she busy doing? Ladies, you know this. Anytime you have somebody over, what? Somebody's got to get the meal together. There are things to do. Christian you think about uh, marching to that tune, onward Christian soldier, you know, there's so many things to do in Christian walk. We've got to learn this and do this and be here and go there. And if you look at our calendar of Bible Baptist Church and school ministries, I mean, it's packed. And one of the things we realized as we got away and rested for a little minute <laughs> is that we can become so caught up in the next thing, good thing, that we miss Christ. Martha was busy, her hands uh, flying here and there, getting things ready. You could hear the pots and pans rattling, can't you? As she's trying to get things ready for the group that's there. Christ is in her home and she's getting the meal ready. How blind our eyes can be. And it can be that in the same home there's a Martha and a Mary 
one devoted and one busy, and the busy one thinking that they're doing the right thing by just keeping busy. Maybe you're that way. It's just your spirituality is about how many things you do for the Lord. Is that your focus, your meal, your church, your Sunday school, your music, your nursery duties, your home, your family, your living in the kitchen while Christ is in the next room? And all you can think about is the recipe. And all you can think about is how many plates are on the table. All you can think about is, Lord, I wonder if everything is just right for the next event spiritually. And you're missing the priority, the supreme, supreme priority of life. In fact, there are two responses to the priority of worship. You see it, verses 38 and 39. If you were to freeze frame those verses, here's Martha, she's serving, and Sister Mary, what is she doing? She's sitting. That's very typical of that time and age. Uh, Paul learned at the feet of Gamaliel, a master teacher would come, a rabbi, and folks would sit at their feet and hear the lessons. And she is there. He's already teaching. And Mary is sitting. And Martha is serving. And if you were to kind of take a snapshot of that, um, you could almost hear Martha whispering from the other room, Mary, <laughs> it's no time to sit. This is our moment to serve. Every cook here knows how precious that time window is when the meal has to come together. It's no wonder Jesus used for cumbered the word perispao, to run tight circles until you're dizzy and distracted. All that Martha, Martha could see is that her meal had to be done at the right time and this was the moment to make it happen. She was running in circles, almost dizzy in her duty for the Lord. What are your focus is today? Is it the next thing you've got to do? Or is it Christ? The second real danger is we succumb to burdens over blessings. We succumb to burdens over blessings. Martha decides to barge right in. <laughs> She's not embarrassed about this. And simply to blow up Martha was cumbered, verse 40, about much serving and came to the master. She skipped Mary, came right to the master and said, Lord, doesn't it bother you? Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. In our battle for true worship, we succumb to our burdens over our blessings. This week, uh, last week, I'm sorry, um, there was some burden in my heart that so overwhelmed me that for 35 minutes, I did nothing but weep and pray and weep and pray. Do you know that this phrase that Martha says to Mary, don't you even care, Lord? <laughs> that I'm serving alone is the same phrase that Peter and the disciples said in that storm-tossed scene. 
Lord, carest thou not that we perish? A person distracted from true worship is often carried away by the weight of their burdens, and that's all that they can see. So she comes running to the Lord and says, I'm overburdened. Do you know the greatest thing in life is God himself. Burdened people, first of all, notice when things aren't fair. Lord, does it bother you that I'm left alone? That's not fair. Secondly, burdened people are consumed with personal problems. Bid her help me. Here she is, innocently listening to the words of Christ, face beaming, saying amen at the right time, right places. She's just enraptured with his words and who he is, and Martha's thinking about how many minutes are left on the timer for the lasagna, or whatever else, the falafels, excuse me, the mutton, whatever, the lamb, and and. All she can think about is that timer clicking and Mary sitting and not helping her. Chances are that burdened people are consumed with personal problems. And thirdly, burdened people are project-oriented, goal-focused, self-focused. Help, help me. Help me. And in my tears with the Lord this past week, it was about me and my family, my burdens. And the Lord, just like he said to his disciples in that storm-tossed sea, he picked their, he picked their chins up and said, where is your faith, your, your assurance that God is in the boat with you and that's all that you need? Maybe this morning you are overwhelmed with you, your needs, your problems. Mary, Martha was. It's so easy for duty-focused saints to be so driven that they can't see the forest for the trees. What if I asked you these questions about this situation in this text? What if? Let me ask you this. Don't answer out loud, but what if? What if Martha would have sat down too at that point? Well, no perfect meal. What if the food was burned or cold? Martha would have been embarrassed. What if while eating an embarrassing, less than perfect meal, Martha found the joy of deeper intimacy relationship with Christ? Well, she would have been strengthened inside by worship. Oh, busy one, burdened one, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Do you know that in this dispensation of time, Christ is always walking with us? He is. And do you know that worship really is about understanding that Christ is your greatest reward? Sometimes we make the mistake when we work in evangelism, and all we do is we say, Listen, wouldn't you like to escape hell? Yes, the answer is universally yes. Who doesn't want I mean who doesn't want to escape? Who wants to go? And wouldn't you like wouldn't you like to have heaven as your home? Yes. But then after we ask them to pray that prayer that 
uh, admits that they're a sinner, recognizes Christ's work, his death, burial, and resurrection, we tell them now, you have prayed a prayer, and you put your trust in the, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's protected you. <laughs> I mentioned this to the church there in Indianapolis. He's protected you from hell, and he's, he's, um, he's got you a place where you no longer have to fear death, hell, and sin. And so we've got them rejoicing in the fact that when they ask, as a, perhaps as a young child, this is great, and I'm protected from hell, but what kind of God is it? What kind of reward is it uh, if all we see is a God who preserves us and protects us from hell, but doesn't preserve and protect us in our deepest pain and problems? So when Paul and you think I'm getting derailed here a little bit from the kitchen, but so when Paul and Silas on the second missionary journey sang, when did they sing? In jail? After what? After they were whipped, their backs were bleeding, and then they were spread apart in the locks, and put in the dungeon. And the Bible says, and he doesn't, the Bible doesn't admit these, I mean, doesn't include these details for trivia's sake. At midnight, at midnight, they sang. So, here we're talking about, well, it must be nice to, to you know, just to be delivered from hell and prepared for heaven. But what kind of joy is it, what kind of God is it that protects us in the midst of our trials? <laughs> and at midnight, Paul and Silas sang, and I'm sure Paul said to Silas, I, I'm not, some speculation here, but he didn't just say, Silas, let's sing songs about heaven. Want to be wonderful there, having no burdens to bear? No. He's saying, let's sing about the great God that we adore and worship now. Amen. He is the... It's not just heaven that's your reward, it's Christ. Yes. <laughs> Songs in the middle of the night come from understanding that God is in the boat. God is in the flame. God is in the fire. God is in the jail. God is with us, the hope of glory. Yes. Yes. So we're not going to wait to sing the songs of heaven until we get there. We can be most assured that this God has brought heaven to our hearts now. Amen. Yes. Amen. Some of you are in a battle. And you're busy, distracted. Perispao means to just be stretched and divided and distracted. Ah, oh, listen, right next door to her in the next room, Christ was sitting. And you don't even have to go that far to find him today, dear friend. Amen. Christ in you, Christ with you. He will never leave or forsake you. And so what a thing it is. Uh, for us to stop and worship Him, to walk and worship Him, to, to suffer and to worship Him. To say, God, you're good, you're holy, you're always right, and you're here. And in the heart of my hearts, in the depth of my hearts, you're not going to find anything but a supreme love for you and you alone. Christ was sitting in the living room. And ladies, just for the record, the Holy Spirit in this text never mentions the menu of the day, what the girls were wearing. Just for the record, nothing is said about the meal. 
It's just about what Christ could mean to Martha had she just understood. Thirdly and lastly, we stress the immediate at the expense of the eter- of, at the expense of the eternal. We stress the immediate at the expense of the eternal. True worship, I believe, in our church and others like it, is the missing jewel. And God made us to worship. We love the smell of our own cooking, the sound of our own voices, the clatter of the machines we built. And Jesus says in a gentle rebuke, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled. That means worried and fretful about many things. So much so that you've chosen to make these temporal things a thief from true worship. How do we know we love things? It could be a number of things. I've mentioned them already. Health, money, pride of relationship, new home, lawn, whatever. Sport, comfort, health. How do we know that we love these things more than God? Well, we fret about them. We worry about them. Isn't isn't it the Lord that said, why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Consider the lilies of the field. Solomon in all of his glories was not arrayed like one of these. I'll take care of you. So cast your care upon me. So we stress about the immediate rather than the eternal. Had she just sat down at his feet, the Lord would have, you know, the Lord has a... <laughs> I think the Lord would have taken care of the meal. After all, he provides a meal in the wilderness. He could, he could have easily just said, okay, so that meal is ruined, Martha. How about I make another one? I don't know what would have happened, and that's speculation, but we know that God wanted her to sit at his feet and learn from him. And so he says, Martha, Martha. And there's times in the Bible where God does that. Abraham, Abraham, Genesis 22. Samuel, Samuel. 1 Samuel 3, Peter, Peter, Luke 22, Saul, Saul, and then Martha, Martha. When God repeats your name, it's not because he's for, he wants you to remember your own name. It's for emphasis. So put your name in there. It gets her attention. Martha, hey Martha. You are anxious, careful's old English term, full of care, and you're troubled, you're divided in mind about many things. But one thing is needful. Church, let's not do church without worship. One thing is needful. And it's not that the program is in perfect order, the choir doesn't miss a note. It's not about the fact that we start on time and end on time. It's, it's really about worship. Have you come to church today and truly worship the Lord? Or is it a rat race in your mind to get to the next thing? If, if it's all about the meal, we can miss the master. One thing is needful, Martha, and it's not that your souffle is perfect the right crust on it. One thing is needful, and that's your heart. I need your heart, your focus, your devotion, because I'm here in your house. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away. Father, 
We're thankful, so thankful for your great love for us, and that you in heaven, the Holy One, the one set apart from all sin, the one high and lifted up, would come to a a world like ours and love sinners like us, and make yourself um, conveniently accessible to us. And yet so often we walk past you and the priority of worship. So quiet us, mold us and make us after thy will while we are waiting, yielded and still. Hearts full of trouble, hearts overcome with duty and and yet so little devotion is here. So Lord, I pray you would forgive us and make us those whose eyes are focused on you not divided in our attention, full of care, but may we always be coming to you as the answer for all of our needs, the joy of living, and the hope of our eternity. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.